All right. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you for joining the Media Gel podcast today. My name is Guillermo Bravo. I'm the chief evangelist here at Media Gel. Uh, you know, we're focused on connecting cannabis, CBD, and alcohol companies to compliant cannabis consumers through uh, mobile devices, uh, media channels at every stage of the customer buying journey. And I'd like to introduce David Palescheck, CPG branding expert, consultant, and the author of the book Branding Bud, The Commercialization of Cannabis. Welcome to the show, David. How are you? Hey, Guillermo. How are you today? Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Fantastic. How uh, How's the new year been for you so far? So far, so good. It's yeah. uh, I guess we're three weeks in, but all good. How about you? Uh, everything has been great so far. Uh, just, you know, embracing the new year and, uh, you know, just uh, head down, focus on growing the business and uh, connecting with individuals like yourself and building the community. So excited to have you on board and uh, learn more, learn more from you and uh, share your insights with all our audience. Cool. I'm excited. <laughs> Likewise. So today, uh, our topic is going to be uh, branding with a buzz. So strategies to scale your cannabis business with David Palestrick. So, you know, you've had many years of experience in, in branding uh, and marketing, both in and outside the cannabis industry. Uh, would you tell us a little bit about your, your background and how you found your way into the cannabis industry? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a long journey, uh, for sure. Um, <laughs> and But it's been a combination of things along that journey that sort of allows me to do what I do today. Um, I guess first and foremost, I should say, uh, you know, one of the biggest influences in my life is uh, I used to be a professional skateboarder when I was uh, very young, many, many years ago. But wow. the, the folks that I've connected with in that community um, are people that most people have heard of today, um, you know, in terms of professional athletes and, uh, and I stay connected in that, in that realm. But mm -hmm. what that also provides me with, or where that also led me to was, um, I went to Parsons School of Design. I owned an art gallery for many years. So again, today I'm able to leverage whether it's my action sport friends or it's my artist friends um, yeah. into the cannabis industry and leverage art and influencers in a way that I never thought I would be able to. Um, but having said that, you know, my, my journey really is uh, uh, after owning a gallery for many years and the economy falling apart, falling apart um, in the early 90s, I went back to school for my MBA. I came out, I worked at American Express, uh, MasterCard, um, um, then worked on the agency side, uh, supporting Pepsi as they rebranded Mountain Dew into an action sport brand, again, leveraging my contacts. Um, and then finally, um, recruited to Microsoft, uh, where I spent seven or eight years uh, during the launch of Zune, which was their MP3 player, and then into Xbox and Windows Mobile Phone. Um, in 2012, when the I-502 law passed in Washington state, and at the same time in Colorado, um, I decided to leave Microsoft. I saw many of my friends in Washington state leaving Amazon and Microsoft and Starbucks and decided uh, that I would leave as well. That was, um, God, that was just before, that was 2011. So it's, it's yeah. almost uh, 11 years now that I've been in the wow. cannabis industry. And um, uh, in some ways, I think it was early to jump, but in many other ways, I've, I've learned a lot. I've met a lot of people. One of the things I did <clears throat> coming out uh, was really consulting. 
and I started to consult at a lot of dispensaries that were opening up. And one of the things I realized very quickly because of my gallery experience, I had a knack for uh, putting things on pedestals and, and making them look pretty and charging lots of money for them. I also knew how to merchandise. Um, but my years in the credit card industry also taught me about um, different types of shopper, shoppers. You know, so there's a transactor, somebody that comes in maybe for their gas or coffee. They know exactly what they want. And they want to be on their way and other people that are shopping. And so that totally relates to a, a cannabis dispensary or a built use store where maybe you have somebody who knows what they want. It's a pre-roll. Um, you know, they want a pre-roll of Durban poison. They're in and out because they only have a half hour for lunch. And then you have, pardon the stereotype, you have a soccer mom that's coming in for the first time and looking at the wall of form factors from flour to, you know, edibles, beverages, tinctures, pills, uh, transdermal patches, sublingual slips, and they're trying to figure it out. You know, they may still be on what's the difference between indica or CBD or, or worse yet, uh, does CBD get you high, right? So yeah. there, there are so many different people along the, the spectrum of knowledge and cannabis that you also need to reach them where they are. So initially that was sort of my understanding how I came into the industry. Um, and then from there, uh, jumped and worked at Dope Magazine and spent four years at Dope Magazine. Uh, I was the vice president of uh, brand partnerships and licensing. I also wrote a three-page article uh, called Branding Bud, which was about the evolving brand landscape over the course of the four years that I was there. Um, and that was eventually what rolled up into being the book. But um, yeah, I've, I've been around the industry a bit. I've been a chief brand officer at a few of the better known companies. And, uh, and I love what I do. I love the industry. <laughs> you yeah, have quite a story in uh, you know, the, the background in art and in uh, you know, skateboarding, how, how are those industries similar to, let's say, a, a cannabis industry? You know, like, is there any similarities there between uh, some of your experience from, from those different categories? There is. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny. There absolutely is. And, and, you know, on the surface, one could say, of yeah. course there is, because all skaters are stoners and they go together. But, but that's not really it. I mean, maybe that's a part of it. But where it really comes together is that there's a community. So in the skateboarding world, there's a community of skateboarders. They speak a language of their own. They understand each other. They do things that are, if you will, only known to them. And in the cannabis community, it's very much the same thing. And so understanding lifestyle and understanding lifestyle marketing and understanding how those activities appeal to a certain consumer totally you know, connects in my mind. And even further, the art community as well. Um, you know, I'll repeat myself if I, if I go through That's it, fine. but essentially <laughs> it's that same thing. And then, you know, what's, what I've even thought about further is how has my 12 years in the credit card industry, marketing mm -hmm. credit cards, you, you know, sort of connected with this as well. And the truth is, I, I think of it as trust marketing, right? So, you know, American Express, don't leave home without it. Yep. MasterCard, priceless, right? It's, it's connecting with these moments, right? You, MasterCard's, uh, one of the longest running advertising campaigns, which I was a part of developing, is priceless. And um, what they did was they connected the use of a credit card with this great moment 
and they shared so many moments. But the one I remember was, you know, the dad taking his daughter to the baseball game um, and being able to make that happen because he had his credit card. And so, you know, those are moments of trust, right? It's like, and don't leave home without it is totally, um, you know, all about trust. And so, on that level, I think cannabis and cannabis marketing comes in and falls into the same thing, you know, is, is, and it's really, you know, the essence of what a brand is, right? A brand is a promise and the, and the ability to consistently deliver on that promise. And so if your credit card doesn't work and you know, you've got the, the credit, but it's the terminal or it's the system, you're upset right? You, you know, you should be able to just pay for it. And so it's those things that you rely on that you trust. And, and often, more often than not, that's consistency. So all of those things totally tie into, in my opinion, branding, marketing, and, and probably more than, more than most, the cannabis industry, you know, building the, the authenticity, the legitimacy, the credibility, the, the relevance, um, all of those things come together. Otherwise, you're nobody in this industry. Yeah, and I really like what you said there uh, on what branding is, right? A, a brand is something that you, um, a promise that you're making to your, to your consumer, to your audience. And it's really your job to deliver upon that. And, uh, you know, whether that's product consistency, as you said, like, are there any other ways in the cannabis industry that we're really moving this forward as far as uh, or maybe uh, some ideas of brands that you feel like are, are doing a great job about uh, you know, keeping their, their content and their messaging, their value consistent with their, with their brand. Yeah. I, I think there are a number of brands that, that are doing that. And, and before I even start throwing out brand yeah. names, I, I mean, the, the, I think the way to create um, or maintain a credible brand right, mm -hmm. is understand who your uh, customer is. If you can best understand who your customer is, then you can serve them and meet them uh, where they are. But, but really it comes down to know your customer, know their need state and ritual. So if they are a soccer mom and they can't smoke in front of their kids, maybe they're using a transdermal patch or a tincture or a capsule. Um, if, if they're a skater, again, total stereotypes, if they're a skater and they're looking for a blunt, or whatever it is they consume, you need to meet them where they are, right? And so that's that's really important. Um, just a quick side note: one thing I'll I'll never forget is um, my son was at the playground playing with his young friends. Um, this was a couple of years back. I was hanging out with the moms, and yeah. one of the moms pulls out a, a, a tin of mints. And she said, does anybody want mommy mints? Want some mommy mints? And it was funny because I looked, I first thought they were Altoids, but yeah. uh, there's a brand called Mr. Moxie's Mints. And yep, Tim I'm Moxie- aware of that brand, yeah. <laughs> right. And so Tim Moxie is based here in Seattle. And um, so I'm totally aware of that brand. And I started cracking up and I said, mommy mints. And um, long story short, they, they all- got embarrassed. And then I explained to them that I was in the cannabis industry. So we all had a, a moment of community, but you know, that was just a great opportunity in, in terms of, or a great moment in terms of a brand connecting with a community of these women that are looking after their kids all day and they're taking these mints and they're microdosing and, and they're, they're um, 
they're living their life, they're parenting, but they're still consuming cannabis. Um, and it is totally out of the stereotype of maybe the, you know, the skater stoner, uh, you know, archetype that I've referred to before. But um, so really, you know, know who your customer is, connect with them at their need state and ritual, which leads to form factor. And then really the last thing is that overlay is the, is the brand archetype, you know, is what kind of brand is this, which really comes down to what type of promise am I making? You know, what, what does this brand mean to me? Um, And to answer your question, there are a number of brands that I think actually really do, um, you know, speak to specific Mm -hmm. groups. Um, You know, one of the things that comes to mind in Washington, they're also in, uh, in NorCal, they're also in Oklahoma is a brand called Saints and Saints joints are boxes of pre-rolls um, where they work with, again, artists, um, to basically do these limited edition collectible boxes. So first and foremost, their pre-rolls are amazing and their flower is, is, you know, not shake and anything else. It's all, all bud and all the finest, which goes without saying you need a quality product or, or at least a product in line with your promise. So if it's a value product, right. Or a bottom shelf product, at least, it should align with that, but don't, don't have bottom, bottom shelf flower and tell everybody it's the best flower around, which, which is um, something that most, most brands do uh, in this industry. It's like our, our weed is the best weed. And uh, everyone says that, right? (laughs) That's right. That's right. That's right. So you just have to be mindful. If you could deliver that, then great, but just be mindful of that promise. Right. So, um, so it's really aligning of all those things and, and those promises and, and really where you are um, in terms of expectations with your customers, how do you manage those, um, you know, that are really important. In the case of Saints Joints, what they do is they work with artists that are well-known in certain communities. So those could be um, Jeremy Fish in the art and skate community. Um, they did a line of uh, limited edition, 12 limited edition boxes with tattoo artists from uh, uh, different states. You know, so again, people who are really interested in tattoos and in the cannabis community collected those and were really all about those boxes. So there's really this connection just beyond um, selling you great weed. Um, you know, I think can on the beverage side, um, you know, does a great job in terms of uh, connecting uh, with um, the LBTGQIA plus community. That's always a mouthful. Yeah. Um, yeah. (laughs) And, um, you you know, but but they've done that recently connecting with with um, the community. They've also, you know, really shown that in their um, ads as well. Um, another thing I think they've done really great is talked about the, um, really the, the, the exchange, if you will, of, of alcohol for cannabis. So, you know, their, their ad campaigns, uh, one of them is, uh, um, hangovers canceled and canceled is C-A-N-N because that's the name of their brand. Um, you know, those types of things. So they've been able to sort of, um, talk about socializing and sessioning with a new form factor beverages um, in a different way that could be interchanged with, with alcohol. So there's, there's lots of things going on in the industry that are really, really interesting. And people are getting innovative now, you know, the, they're 
they're figuring out ways to, to stay within the compliance and the regulations and everything that comes with advertising your your brand and cannabis. And as you said, you know, with the the approach on the uh, you know from the skating community and making you know this more of a lifestyle and and cannabis is really diverse in that way, right? You have the the people. I, I see. I saw this at Hall of Flowers. There was a big uh, uptick in. Uh, almost like nightlife entertainment category of the the cannabis space. It was real, you know, front and center. Uh, there's always been the health medicinal approach to this. There's always been the uh, the lifestyle cannabis. Yeah, I mean the cannabis aficionado. Um, you know, there's the the health and lifestyle as well. So it's it's interesting to see uh, how this is all coming to the forefront and uh, you know just the ads, you know, we talked a little bit about it on, on LinkedIn, but you know, the Martha Stewart and Snoop Dogg collaboration, that's a, that's a unique one there. That's been getting some, you know, good impression and, and really uh, normalizing cannabis in the mainstream. Yeah. And it's just, uh, you know, as you suggested, you know, the, um, we, we joined the industry way back when, before any of this uh, was really taken into an account and, and uh, right when Colorado and, and Washington went legal, so it's exciting to see the progress. And that that really um, brings me to the to the book that you've written. Uh, so the mm-hmm. first book on cannabis branding. So branding bud, the com- commercialization of cannabis. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, about the book and and uh, you know share your insights? Yeah, sure. Um, I I mean, so so first off. Uh, you know, as someone that got into the cannabis industry 11 or 12 years ago, you know, I was trying to make heads or tails of what the industry is. And, and not only that, but um, even though I consumed for many years, just still trying to better understand how to um, maybe even best say this, how do I tell my friends back in New York, where I'm from, what's going on in Washington? And if they only saw this, you know, they, they couldn't believe what was going on here. And the funny thing is, is that I had, um, when I worked at MasterCard, I spent two and a half years, uh, twice a month in Europe. And so I would go spend time in Amsterdam. And I'd always tell my friends about Amsterdam, and this is years and years ago, and no one would believe me. Um, and now here I am in Washington 10 years ago, and my friends in New York are like, you're crazy. Um, but what I realized was that there was a story and an industry evolving, and that um, that we needed to educate people about that, not only in market, but outside of the market as well. And so um, I guess the book in many ways was sort of my journey. And it's, it's not at all about me. It just explains the things that I was questioning. Like, for example, um, wh- why, why is can, you know, cannabis is a plant? Why, why did it end up where it is? So the book starts off with, all these questions about the legal, political, uh, socio-demographic aspects, all the baggage that the industry has. You know, why, why do we call it, or why do some people call it cannabis versus marijuana? What's the baggage around marijuana? Yeah. What was the history with uh, the Marijuana Tax Act and Harry Anslinger and, um, uh, you know, all of the other uh, you know, the anti-marijuana craze, if you will, um, you know, during prohibition and, and then some. And the so for madness, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, why was, 
why was the person in charge of what was then the equivalent to the DEA saying that, you know, um, uh, you know, marijuana drove colored colored men to do crazy things and drove white women to, you know, to sleep with colored men. I mean, that is insane. Um, it, it's insane. Anybody could say it or think it, but, um, but nonetheless, that was the propaganda of the time. So I was curious, like, why, what was this all about? And so I looked into that and I started to, you know, really just un, unwind what that was and unpack what that was. And then from there, started to get an understanding of like, okay, I understand why there are stoner stereotypes and tied into, you know, the hippies and, and uh, you know, tie dye and all these other things. And, and really, I talked through that and I talked through, you know, how it came about, what was prohibition about, how it came through into pop culture with Cheech and Chong and Fast Times at Ridgemont High and, and weeds and all the other sort of things that brought cannabis you know, to the fore. Um, mm -hmm. And then start to speak about the laws changing, how things changed and really brought it into where we are today. Um, then from there, uh, I speak about who the who cannabis consumers are, and I worked with Headset and a number of other data companies to really get some data around this, so I could connect the dots. So it's just not me, you know, talking or thinking about this. That there's actually things I could use as anchors and hooks to, you know, to grab onto. Um, and then really the the I guess the biggest part of the book is you know the form factor chapter where I go through flowers, um, waxes, shatters, butters, tinctures, capsules, um, beverages, edibles, uh, transdermal patches, sublingual slips, and other innovative in vape carts, other innovative um, uh, form factors, um, and really start to break down, you know, what these brands are all about. And then really, mm -hmm. after that, come out of that say, realizing that there's 14 cannabis brand archetypes and I'll run through them really quick. Um, and just to be clear, they're not mutually exclusive. Often they overlap, but these are the hooks that these brands are, are using to pull you in as a consumer. So, you know, one could say, I'll start off with the first one, counterculture. And one could say in a certain way that any cannabis brand is a counterculture brand, but, but a counterculture brand, a nostalgic brand, a novelty brand, a foodie brand, a regional brand, health and wellness brand, celebrity brand, prohibition brand, art and design, gender, value, cultivator, luxury, and charity. And um, I'll give you an example, uh, Whoopi and Maya you know, is, is a cannabis brand um, that, that I actually don't think is around anymore, but it's still a perfect example, which is Whoopi Goldberg, celebrity, um, a, a gender-based brand because it focuses on benefits specifically for women uh, as it relates to cannabis. Uh, there was a um, charity component to it as well. So if you bought something, we gave something out. But, you know, even, even the charity or cause um, uh, brand, you know, there's so many of them now, whether it's Justice Joints, or 40 Tons, or, um, um, oh man, there, there, there's, there's many more that are just not coming to me right now. Um, Evidence is another brand. There, there's got to be probably eight to 10 uh, social equity brands, but, but those are the hooks that they're selling us on. And those are the things that, you know, either appeal to us or don't. Um, 
but but it's interesting to sort of see that because that breaks it down really from uh, a marketing perspective and a consumer perspective, and then we start to better understand who we're appealing to them and how we're appealing to them. Well, that's a that's a lot to unfold there, and, and you know, thank you for sharing the the different archetypes uh, within the cannabis industry. That's uh, you know, that's really the starting point, right? You know, we you. Uh, you know, as you said, it's the the promise that you're making to your your audience, to your consumer, uh, and you really have to speak to them and and craft uh, content and and ensure that your values are in line with uh, these different archetypes. So glad uh, glad to hear that. And uh, speaking of forty tons, we've actually uh, recently partnered with Forty Tons. Uh, so we we met them at the MJ Impact there in Las Vegas, same time as mm-hmm. MJ BizCon, and we really love their story and we. Uh, we really wanted to support them, right? The the inclusion factor, the the BIPOC communities, and uh, we offered them a forty thousand dollar grant this year to to help get their message out there and to to share their their message uh, with the audience, you know, within California and beyond. And uh, it really just hit home for me, uh, you know, being in California and uh, uh, just the impact that they're making in the different you know, underserved communities and really uh, transitioning some of these. Uh, Nonviolent ex uh, uh, ex cannabis offenders and getting them back in the workforce and you know building their headshots, their resumes, uh, and providing that education and, and tools to get them back in the workforce. So it's it's really messages like that that I can, you know I personally can get behind and uh, you know really draw on that emotional aspect of what a brand can actually mean in a community, right? So that's right. That that's exactly right. You know, and and that's what that's what branding is all about when it's done correctly, right? Because when it's done the right way with integrity and, uh, and ethics, and, and you can bring, you can bring a brand and its ethos to help a community and better serve a community. And that's, that's really what it's all about. I mean, that's smart capitalism. That's just not making money. That's, that's helping people in making money. And that's, that's what it should be about. Yeah, and I've seen that a lot in uh, celebrities, actually, and uh, different influencers. They one that comes to mind is uh, Shaquille O'Neal, and you know he's made his money in uh, in basketball, of course, and uh, different different sponsorships. Uh, but I remember reading about him, and you know how he said that uh, you know the money he made is exponentially more now that he's behind a behind a, a message and something that's actually pa- he's passionate about. And helping others. So uh, I know there's a lot of other people that are following that path and, and giving back and, and trying to help others. So, uh, you know, thank you for sharing that and, and uh, looking forward to hearing more from 40 tons and, you know, some of the other brands that are you know, following that same, that message and, and that same value. So shout out right. to uh, Anthony uh, Allegretti and, and Brandon over there at 40 tons. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Anthony's yeah. been on my my clubhouse show too, and and I appreciate what they're doing. So, um, so a big shout out to them and others like them as well, because yeah. that's uh, that that's that that's what differentiates our industry too. You know that that we're we're many of us are looking out, um, you know, for those that came before us, and and um, and it's just important to uh, to acknowledge that. Yeah. I mean, like Steve D'Angelo, Last Prisoner Project. There's, you know, there's a lot of people that are really making an impact in this industry and 
trying to right the the wrongs that were made back in uh, you know in the history of cannabis, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you consult with a lot of companies in uh, in the cannabis industry, creating brands and developing products. Uh, what goes into creating a a meaningful cannabis brand? Well, I mean, some of the things I, I touched on before, right? So, so to me, there, there's really four aspects of creating a meaningful brand is, yeah. you know, again, knowing your customer, um, meeting them where they are, not, you know, pulling them over to you. Um, you know, that means understanding their need state, their ritual, <clears throat> how they consume, when they consume, what they consume, um, y- you know, and, and then once, once you're, into that and you understand who they are and what form factors they they use and when, then you could really start to talk to them, talk to them uh, through a number of different ways, either educating them about your product, bringing them up to speed about what, you know, why, um, what the benefits are of your product, or even just um, those aspirational moments, right? You, you know, like, uh, they just associate with your product and and your brand, and that's really important. So, you know, whether it's and and it's funny. I, I often think about products too in terms of uh, additive or subtractive. Uh, so, for example, <clears throat> subtractive. I'll start off there. Subtractive is um, think of Advil. When you take an Advil, you have a headache, you have a backache, you you have something, and you really want to alleviate that that pain. So additive is, um, you know, you're looking to, you're going to do something and you want something that's going to give you more energy or it's aspirational or it makes you focus or all these other types of things. And those two, you know, additive and subtractive are very different mindsets. If you're looking to alleviate pain, that's very different than, wow, I want this thing to, you know, take me away somewhere. And so you need to speak to your customers very differently, right? So if they're in pain, you need to speak to them in their pain state and how to alleviate that pain. Or if they're looking for that lift or that focus or that relaxation, you need to learn how to speak to them and meet them where they are. So um, so if you could do that, and then the last thing is layer over the brand archetypes. Um, and I should also say, I know I said before, they're not mutually exclusive. And even though there are 14 now, um, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Swami and Nikki from Swami Select, but I said to Swami, we were joking that he may be the 15th brand archetype, which is spiritual. Um, you know, so um, so my point here being that I'm sure these are going to grow. They're not necessarily unique to cannabis, but but they're, they are the hooks that brands and consumer product goods use to speak to consumers. And as consumers, we should just be mindful of that. But the, the, and if I could say this, the, a brand, a brand archetype is really that shortcut. And the best way to describe this is if I were to play three seconds of country music, hip hop music, jazz, and classical, Mm -hmm. immediately you, you know, everyone listening, the audience would say, yeah, I like that. Or oh, no, not interested. Like you could immediately tell. And that's what a brand archetype is. It's just that quick glimpse of a package, a font, a color, um, something that, that gives you the cue that, oh, wait a second. And, and again, stereotype here, this is pink. It's for a woman. 
it's not for me. Or this is black and it's bold and it's macho. This is for me, right? Those are these these unconscious cues that that consumers either are drawn to or repelled from. And as branders and marketers, we should be aware of that. Yeah, it would be a fun exercise if we did this with me. If uh, you know, <laughs> what archetype would I actually be under in this category? Uh, I can give you a little insight into how I enjoy cannabis and, you know, as you said, is adding it to, uh, to an experience. That's definitely, that's definitely my preferred for you preferred use, you know, going on a hike or going on the beach, doing something, uh, enjoying music, live concert, a movie, like really, uh, leveraging cannabis, uh, to expand upon my experience. Right. And then you know, this, the subtractive or the, the kind of negative there would be, uh, you know, but it's being active as a person and, uh, yeah, I participate in a lot of yoga and just physical activity. So the other side of that would be, uh, leveraging cannabis and, and gummies, especially with CBN, uh, for me, for, you know, for maintaining sleep and also body recovery. Right. So just providing the, the CBD to, uh, to aid in, in muscle, re- muscle recovery. And I know that, uh, just from experience, uh, a, a little insight is, uh, my old soccer coach from high school, <laughs> he, um, he reached out to me after about five years of seeing me talk about cannabis in the industry and, you know, following my, my Instagram and social profiles and, you know, he reached out and said, you know, I'm, I'm creating a cannabis brand and, you know, it's for, for athletes like, like you, right? Like people that are participating in high, high, um, yeah, just uh, high intensity sports like football, um, soccer, foot, football. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, so he created a topical with a spray with, you know, rapid absorption, especially for knees and aches and different pains there. And he, he, uh, you know, the company's called Medicileaf and, you know, that's just um, a great example of how someone's bringing their passion for a sport and, and uh, applying, uh, you know, their values and, and whatnot to, uh, to creating a brand that is, that is uh, embraced by a certain category, which would be the, you know, athletic or, you know, athletic category uh, of the archetypes. And, you know, uh, it's funny how that kind of transition, uh, you know, he started out working with, uh, soccer athletes, professional, semi-professional, and now he's transitioned to the pickleball industry. So, uh, taking a lot of that, uh, you know, those aches and pains that you, you get from playing tennis or, or pickleball now, uh, on the beach or on a court. And, you know, I, now he's secured a, a partnership with the, the pickleball association and, uh, and it's just interesting to see the, the evolution of how all this can come to play. And this is just from my personal experience, you know, it's. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, it's interesting. I know, um, you know, many brands, like for example, Apothecana, which is a great brand started in THC is still in THC, but also sells in CVS and um, Walgreens and some of the bigger um, pharmacies, uh, CBD products, you know, their, their campaigns are, are appealing to, um, tennis players and and others. So I, I personally love that because I think what that does is normalize it. Um, You know, and it also shows people again, I think lots of education needs to be done around um, 
really just getting people up to speed on the basics, like, you know, what's THC versus the other cannabinoids, let's say. And of course, you know, CBD probably comes in first, although there's been lots of other cannabinoid um, development and experimentation. But uh, I, I think, I think, the general public still has a really long way to go in terms of being educated. One thing you had said earlier too is, you know, so when I look at brands and products, I look at, mm -hmm. at, at the brand archetypes, but when I look at consumers, you mm -hmm. know, consumers are, are a different model for me. I actually, I look at consumers, I have a six ring model and, okay. um, you know, in the center, there's, I'll just run through it quickly. There's okay. the canicor, canicor in the center, right? The canicor are probably like people like you and me that consume often and are in the industry and talk about this and live and, and breathe it. Um, you know, then just outside of that is the can of comfortable and the can of comfortable are probably people that are our partners or that, you know, consume on the weekends or, or that type of thing. Can of casual is, is the next ring out, you know, Okay, they're okay with it. They're around it every so often. Doesn't bother them. They, you know, they're okay. You know, then as you sort of come out, there's the kind of confused. They're the folks that are, what's the difference between THC and CBD? You know, then after the kind of confused, you have the kind of neutral. They really don't care. And then you have the kind of contra. They're totally against cannabis. And so I liken this to if you had five friends that were standing around a pool. And um, one of your friends happened to be an Olympic swimmer and the other uh, of your friend was terribly afraid of, of swimming. You would speak to them really different about how to come into the pool. So you jump into the pool, but your Olympic friend, swimmer friend, you're like, come on, this is great. No one's in the pool. Come join me. He dives in or she dives in uh, or they dive in from the deep end. And you look at your other friend and you say, hey, I know you haven't been in a pool in a long time. And I know you're concerned about it. Come on in. I'll meet you in the shallow end. I have a life preserver for you. You know, like you treat it very differently. And I think that's how you need to speak to cannabis consumers as well. You know, either they're an expert, they're a connoisseur, and it's like, let's, let's get down. Or it's, you know, come on, it's okay. It's okay. And, and you need to educate them and talk to them in a very different way. And I think if, um, if people in the industry understood that a little bit better, um, you know, that there are different types of consumers at different points along their consumption path, um, then I, I think we'd be better able to address some of, some of their, their needs. And, and again, I, I always say, meet them where they are. Don't yeah. expect them to join our club, um, yeah. you know, right away. Everyone uses cannabis in a different way, right? It's, uh, you know, as you suggested, you have the, the archetypes, but then you have your, your different consumer types. Uh, you know, I remember when I started back in the cannabis industry, I don't know how long it's been now, but I remember the, the uh, God, what was the phrase in Colorado? It was uh, start, like start slow or, you know, something along those lines. And we had some recommendations on don't go above five milligrams on your first dose, like some of the right. basics so that people avoid that negative experience that uh, you're not going to overdose and die, but you can, you know, you can definitely overconsume and, and uh, have a bad experience, you know, and that's similar with a lot of other substances, right? Like psilocybin, boom, you do a little too much of that. 
it can, can go, can be an experience that you're not looking forward to. <laughs> so, yeah. um, really, um, I, I just like your analogy, especially with the pool is, you know, come, come on the uh, shallow end and, and maybe participate, maybe dabble in a little bit and see if it's for you. And if it's not, it's okay. Right. Like it's not, uh, but what's, what's, what's intriguing about that. What's interesting about that too, is just one example. So in Washington state, um, a per serving, uh, THC, uh, size is 10 megs. Um, in Arizona, it's 50. So, um, you know, so it's five times the difference and, and, you know, one would, one would think, wow, that's interesting. Why is it that way? Has anybody given that thought? Um, you know, so I, I think as much as, as, taking it slow, uh, the states really need to get on the same page. You know, another thing here in Washington that happens um, among other states, but what's interesting is if you bought a carbonated beverage, a cannabis-infused carbonated beverage, so a a soda, um, in a clear bottle with a crown top on it, that typically, and, and it has 100 megs in it, that is actually 10 servings. Now, now, tell me what consumer <clears throat> that spent their life drinking Coke and Pepsi or whatever sodas they've, they've, they've drank, and now they come into an adult use store and they buy a cannabis-infused beverage. The, fact the that whole it, thing, probably. Right, they're trained to do that. The fact yeah. that even, even the, the form itself, the bottle, you know, has a crown top, it's, it's, it's not a replaceable. It's not like, hey, you could use that. You're, you're supposed to have you know, 10 servings and be mindful of that. But the bottle isn't telling you that, right? The bottle is crack me open and drink me. Um, So there's a lot of things that are just at odds with with how the industry has sort of um, come to educate consumers, or maybe I should say, align with the way consumers have been previously educated with other consumer product goods, right? So we just need to be mindful. Now I'll say this too. How many people have bought a Hershey bar and knows that there are the tranches or the, the you know, the, the slices, but, mm-hmm. but how many people don't pay attention to that? You know, maybe, um, maybe a Kit Kat bar is better, right? You know, you typically break a Kit Kat bar and you eat it and it's like, cool, they designed it into the product. But if you look at a Corova brownie out of California and see that um, there are a thousand megs, um, with, with no um, delineation for, you know, for what is a, a slice or a serving, um, you're going to have some people, I don't know, sleeping for the weekend, you know, um, <laughs> you know, who, who yeah. just ate a brownie. So I, I, I actually do think that the states need to get on the same page at some point and start talking to each other and saying, hey, we see your dosing is this, our dosing is this, what, what should we do to just be mindful that our dosing is five times more than yours and, and other states probably, you know, uh, fall into place as well. Yeah. that's been a recurring conversation I've had with, uh, you know, educating new cannabis users. They, a common question is, uh, you know, what is a drink? What is the equivalent? Like, can, of, you know, smoking a joint, like what is, uh, if I want to have two beers, 
how would I do that in cannabis and have the same effect? Right. Yeah. So it's, and it, and you know what you know what's funny with that question? There's two things. Like one is there should be an answer for that, mm-hmm. or a general answer for that. But when you think about alcohol, sure, you know you could you could say um, like one shot of tequila is, I don't know, is three beers. Uh, and and but the truth is it depends on what your tolerance is. It depends on probably what you had for lunch that day or dinner that day or eat. How soon did you eat previous? There's, and I can go down. factors. That's right. So, so there should be a generalization like, Hey, if you take a puff off a joint or if you take a bite out of a brownie and it's not really that it's, it's probably if you had five milligrams of THC, this is typically how you would feel. And, Again, I mentioned can earlier. I think they're doing a great job because they're they're low dose, they're micro dosed. I think they're they're um, five megs of THC, and then maybe they have some CBD in it. Um, but they they are low dosed, and then they're sold in I believe it's either four packs or six packs. Um, okay. But but the concept is, you know, so they're bringing sessioning right to to the game. They're like, okay, cool. I'll show up with my six pack. They're micro dosed. I could go through this just like I could go through a six pack of beer or I could be social and hand it out to my friends just like I would with a six pack of beer. So I think they're starting to apply some of the social aspects that we as humans already do into cannabis. And and I think, and I think that's going to help normalize it even more. I mean, it's weird for me to say this, but I actually think when it's finally normalized, cannabis infused beverages will really be the driving form factor because they'll be interchanged with other beverages. And and let me just say it this way, beverages from the beginning of time are what humans are about, you know, whether it's, you know, water, milk, or blood, you know, across, yeah, yeah. (laughs) yeah, across what we, and that was really the basics, right? Then it was wine, then it was other things. It was beverages for us, beverages for the gods, beverages for, you know, every occasion. Um, Beverages talk about occasion. They talk about gender. They talk about socioeconomic status. They talk about all sorts of things. Um, and, And so I believe beverages will be that normalizing factor. They'll appeal to many different segments. They'll be high dose, low dosed, um, fancy, not fancy. Um, it will be just like the beverage industry. If you look at it as a whole, you know, across bottled water into milks, into, you know, Gatorades and sports drinks, right. And into all the things that tie back into these specific consumer needs and, and rituals. Agreed. Agreed. And, uh, yeah, is there any, uh, there's a drink that I had at uh, hall of flowers that I loved. It was, uh, Klaus. I don't know if you've had that by yeah. Warren, uh, our friend Warren Babrow. Yes. Yeah, that, Warren, was, that was incredible. I had that at, I had that at the Hall of Flowers at the, uh, at David Tran's event, you know, the mm-hmm. um, Airspace Museum. Yep. Event that he had. Head above the clouds. Yep, head above the clouds. There it is. Yep. Uh, and that was enjoyable. I mean, I've, I've never had a drink like that uh, in cannabis so far. And, you know, it was just uh, a lot of the, the simple ingredients, something I would almost... Uh, I'm a big fan of kombucha. So it really reminded me of, of that a little bit. 
mm-hmm. and and the, the the taste and the feeling that you get um, when consuming it. So yeah, it's just nice to see the evolution, and I'm, and I'm right there with you. It's um, you know, drinks is probably the fastest growing category in cannabis right now, and as things evolve and you know maybe maybe with the federal legalization once that opens up who knows when two six plus years who knows uh coca-cola they famously used other other substances when creating their first coca-cola brands right and a lot of these uh these conglomerates these beer companies uh the pepsi the coca-cola they're all going to create their variations of these drinks and they're already doing it with CBD and they're just going to continue to, to evolve and, and, uh, you know, really the one thing I've, I've seen at least with cannabis is, you know, we had a lot of this talk about sativa indica and, uh, you know, everyone's genetics are different. So people can react differently to the same product. Um, but the, effect-based, like the outcome-based product. That's what I've seen a lot of, you know, just over the last five years, a lot of the, the branding and everything has changed that. Do you see, like, how do you see that evolving as far as, you know, I want to go out to a concert. I want to, my preferred uh, method of consumption is a drink. Boom. Like, uh, is there an energy drink for cannabis <laughs> for the, for that type of event side? It'll be interesting to see how, that category specifically evolves in cannabis. I mean, it's yeah. I I I think it's I think it's really interesting. You, you know, you just brought up something maybe you weren't even aware of it, but yeah. you know, just like all of the events, you know, bring in partner with alcohol companies to yeah. to serve their alcohol up. This is happening now. It's starting yeah. to happening, and these conversations are taking place. Um, but um, you know, I, I think to go back to what you said with benefit specific. Yeah. There, there are lots of brands now focused on <clears throat> what the outcome is. Yeah. But I also think that as more research is done, you know, for example, uh, Angela Pye created Canacrafts um, Gem and Jane. So that has THCV in it. THCV is known to be um, an, an uh, appetite suppressant. So, um, you know, th- there's certain beneficial aspects to that as well. There are, there are lots of other brands that do that. I know Candescent now sells their flower, not by strain, but by effect. Um, yeah. You know, so many people are doing that. I actually, I actually think that um, this is a great way to sell a product to to a, to the mass market, to a general consumer. Mm. I think, you know, probably people like me and you, and perhaps folks listening, they already have their favorite strains. They've been around it for quite some time. They know the difference. So I don't think that will ever go away, but I actually feel that terpenes are Mm. perhaps the next, um, you know, I mean, they, they are like trendy already, but I say that because, um, I say terpenes could be potentially the next trend because I look at terpenes very much like, well, if you look at terpenes and you look at things like linalool, which is in lavender, and you look at pinene and limonene, which is in pine and citrus, Mm -hmm. um, we know that if we just look at, take aromatherapy, we know 
uh, you know, that if whether we're buying bath salts or we're buying air freshener, or we're buying whatever it is with tea, we know that lavender relaxes us and chamomile relaxes us and it's high in linalool. Lean, I'm drinking here. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And if if you want to be uplifted, you're looking for the, the limonenes and the pinenes and, and those things that are the citrus that invigorates you. So in my mind, since most people fully understand that already, um, or I believe, or, or it's just more common knowledge, like, hey, mm. lavender is relaxing, chamomile is relaxing, this is uplifting, that if we start perhaps to deliver strains or cultivars in, in that way, that might appeal to, I don't know, newbies coming in to say, well, I don't want couch lock or I don't want to go to sleep or I want to take a hike and I want to be invigorated or, or yes, I am going to go out and, and go run for a jog while, while I'm high. Um, you know, and, and as a kid, I used to skateboard, um, under the influence, um, uh, I shouldn't say as a kid, as an adult, I used to skateboard under the influence. Um, yes. So, uh, you know, I, I understand that there's, um, you know, times and reasons why and when we consume again, need states and rituals. Yep. So, you know, we just need to, um, focus on those things and serve things up in a way that, um, people understand or maybe have an inkling or are like, oh yeah, sure. That makes sense. Lavender is relaxing and, and, you know, citrus is uplifting. Um, and then you can start to, these things make sense and they equate and we're not starting over again. We're not starting from scratch telling a newbie that they need to learn this entire new language. Um, and I'd even say this, I, I drink wine on, on occasion. I remember when wine was, was getting popular. And I went out to a steak, a, a business dinner and we were at a steak restaurant and we ordered the wine and I had a sip of the wine and everybody there was like a, a newfound wine connoisseur. Yeah, yeah. And I remember saying, I don't know what the word was. I want to say peppery, but I think that's an okay word to say. But, <laughs> but I used a word just to describe it, even though I had no clue about wine at all. Yeah. And I got laughed at at the table because it wasn't a word it wasn't a wine person's word, you yeah. know, it, it wasn't something, you know, like gassy. Let's just use that for an example. If somebody said this tastes gassy, if you didn't, if you were a <laughs> cannabis connoisseur, you'd be saying, what, why would you like, what is that? And why yeah. would you even want to taste something gassy? But if you could find these words that people are already comfortable with, um, I don't know, maybe earthy, peppery, whatever those things are, Mm -hmm. I think that makes it a lot easier when you start off with your own language, if you will, it's harder. Um, I still go into Starbucks today and, and what it's to me, it's still small, medium or large. What is Starbucks? It's like a vente, uh, a tall, the tall is their small one. And yep. it's just totally confusing to me. So I just say, I'll take a medium drip coffee. Um, it's just too complicated. So, uh, you know, but, small, medium, or large is something everybody understands. Why, why reinvent it? Um, you you yeah. know, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I, trying to, trying to make uh, coffee sound better, branded better. Yeah. Right. And, and yes, charge more. Right. <laughs> yes. And they're creating a unique experience. Yeah. yeah. So I totally get that, but, yeah. but there are some things and a lot in cannabis that you just shouldn't 
you shouldn't reinvent the wheel. We should yeah. use common knowledge and common practice and best practices to, you know, to, um, to serve it up the way it is. Let me give you just a, another quick example. A, right. um, uh, a transdermal patch, right? Mm -hmm. With THC or CBD in it. It looks like a Band-Aid. So mm -hmm. we need to treat it like a Band-Aid, right? Um, it, it, because people look at it and say, oh, okay, it looks like a Band-Aid. So I'm going to peel it open. I'm, you know, so you don't want to serve that up in a new way that would confuse somebody because built into its form factor is this functionality, right? And, and that, I guess, in some ways, I'm, I'm doubling up on that point earlier, where if it's 10 servings in a bottle, it should have a resealable cap. It shouldn't have a pop top. So we're, 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 we're hypocritical in many ways in terms of the way we're supposed to use it, but the form factor it gets served up in or the way we serve it up. And, and we need to be mindful of those, those um, inconsistencies, right? Because mm -hmm. that affects our brand promise and the brand promise is a consistent uh, experience. Agree, agreed. And, you know, thank you, David, again, for all your insights. And, you know, uh, is there any final thoughts that you'd like to share or a message or anything related to your mission uh, in the industry? Well, um, I start off always, I'm all, all about the plant. And then, you know, <clears throat> from the plant, uh, you know, the folks that that need need support, need help, and, and that have been hurt by the, the previous, uh, you know, uh, activities and, and means of what, what the industry has been or, or lack of it. But um, that's where I start off. You know, I'm honestly all about education. The more people that understand cannabis, I think the better off we'll be. Um, you know, initially I wasn't a fan of uh, celebrities and I was kept on asking like, what value do they bring to the industry? But, you know, the answer is they normalize cannabis. And, and I've, it's only been in the last few months that I've realized that. And so you know, when you speak about Snoop and Martha, wow, what, what better way to normalize and what better way to bring communities that wouldn't even come together to sort of come together. And so, um, so hopefully that helps cannabis. Hopefully that helps um, uh, relationships and relations across communities um, that just exist. But um, I think cannabis can do that. Um, I hope it does. Uh, I hope that we can normalize it. And, um, and that's, that's really, that's really my mission. Um, okay. you know, if anybody wants to reach out to me, I always love to engage in conversations. Um, you can find me on my website at brandingbud.com or my email, david at brandingbud.com. Um, I'm always open and interested, um, you know, and, uh, and my company branding bud consulting group helps those brands that are trying to convey their messages in, in clear and consistent ways to cannabis consumers. So I'm happy to help. And, and I hope we as a community can, can offer those clear and consistent messages and, uh, and, and make the cannabis industry uh, a better place. Well, thank you again, David. And, uh, you know, I've, I have your book right here, actually. <laughs> Everyone uh, go on Amazon and brandybud.com support david and and you know his his mission here and uh getting access to the plant to, to everyone and uh you know do your own research and learn about you know how you can improve yourself how, how you can improve your own brand within cannabis and 
uh, you know, get the book. And if you need some more insights, reach out to David individually and, uh, you know, schedule a one-on-one with him and, you know, you know, he'll do his best to help you on the consulting side. And, uh, I guess one question I have before we part ways is, are we going to see a follow-up book anytime soon? <laughs> yes, actually it's, um, it's funny. I've, uh, um, I have a book coming out this year for okay. holiday, um, which is called Cannabis Versus Marijuana. And that talks mm. about um, all of the words that everybody's talking about and they, they use differently and they don't fully understand or maybe they don't understand the history. So we'll talk about cannabis versus marijuana. We'll talk about uh, the black market versus the legacy market. We'll talk about um, the entourage effect versus the symphonic effect. We'll talk about all these different things um, and try to get folks on on the same page. So that comes out for holiday this year. Branding Bud 2 comes out um, April 20th, 420 of next year, 2023, and is already guaranteed to be about twice as thick as um, as the current book because there have been so many brands that have come out over the last year. Um, God, right now there's about 54 celebrity brands. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of, uh, you know, and, and lots of cannabinoid research and, and lots of things that have happened in terms of um, new products, new people entering, uh, new people and products and brands entering the market. Um, so I'm excited to write about that. And that will come out, uh, as I said, for 2023. Um, one other thing I just want to say, because it's very important, is that um, a brand starts out with a name, right? And a name is everything. And Guillermo Bravo you have got the best name ever. Oh, so, thank you. <laughs> so, um, so I'm envious of your name uh, and your hair, by the way, I'll add that. Um, oh, but, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so with that, I see um, you've got a great start for your brand. You've been doing fantastic. Keep up the oh, great work. Thank week. you, Dan. Um, it's, it's been a pleasure to, to chat with you. I, I hope I added value um, you know, to the folks listening. Um, and I'd, I'd love to do it again. Um, I'm always up for chatting about cannabis and cannabis branding and where the industry is going. Well, let's do it. And thank you, David, once again, thank you for sharing your insights and, you know, I'm sure we'll have you on again and go dive deeper into cannabis branding and, and beyond. So, you know, thanks again, David and, uh, everyone once again, go to brandingbud.com support David and, and reach out through, through his website, buy his book, set up a one-on-one call with David. And uh, thank you again. Yeah. Have a wonderful, thank have you. A wonderful week, everyone. And uh, happy new year. <laughs> right on. Happy new year, everybody. Thank you, Guillermo. I appreciate it. Likewise. Thanks, David. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.